For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Steve Andrews entitled Positive Instruction from No, Neither, Not, and None. Hmm, talk about making a positive of a negative. Mr. Andrews. Well, greetings, brethren, on this uh cold and chilly, rainy day. My poor body, especially as we get older, can't figure out the, the weather very well. Uh, it gets really quickly used to the warm, and it has a terrible time getting used to the cold. <laughs> and it seems like in Oklahoma it changes so quickly back and forth that uh, it's sometimes hard for it to, um, to get used to it. When um, a lot of you remember when we were bringing up our little ones, those little children that we had who were no longer little. <laughs> um, one of the, uh, especially as they uh, got more than one, two, three, four, <laughs> we waited a little while for the, after the fourth, for the fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth. <laughs> but one of the uh, things that we I sure remember as they were little having to use two words a lot and all of you who have been parents or are parents and those of you that are going to be expecting to be parents one of these days We'll be using these two words an awful lot with your children. And those two words are stop and no. And the reason why we use these words is because we love our children. We love what God has given us. And if we don't teach them those two words so that they obey us, they can get hurt, they can get killed. Um, they're energetic. They, they want to they wanna learn, they want to do things, they want to get into things. And as they get to certain ages, they are very curious. That's just the way we are as children. That's how we learn. But if there's not a watchful parent to teach them those things, it's very easy for them to get hurt or to get killed because if, you, if they won't stop, when you yell stop and they're heading for that road, that road and there's a car coming, you may lose a child. If they stick their hand close to the fire and you tell them no and they still stick their hand in the fire, you may be taking them to the hospital or at least giving them some burn treatment for their fingers. So those are the things that we learn when we're parents and we teach our children. Of course, maybe we were too young to remember those words, although I think I remember them with my father when I was a little older. He probably told me a lot of no's when I was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. Hopefully, thankfully, I've made it through life to this point anyway. In the Bible, Our Creator has given us a handbook, and it's a wonderful handbook. 
And he's given us a lot of positive instruction using the word no. Not, neither, and none. Because they all give us those kind of childlike instructions that we need in our life. Now, I'm not sure about the, the statistics here, so don't quote me on these statistics, but I think that I looked this up in um, ESORD. The word no can be found 1,316 times, 16 verses, and that's 1,393 times in the Bible. The word none is found 341 verse, in 341 verses and 358 times. The word not is found in 5,582 verses, 6,597 times. And the word neither is found 800, in 802 verses and 879 times. With that many places in which these words are found, it behoves us to take some time and think about it and to look into those words and to find out what our Creator actually meant when he had those written down and preserved so that we would have a good life and not get burnt. Our mama and our papa, who started this all out, had some very profound instructions. and We're all very familiar with it, and I'm going to read you only two verses, and I didn't give Brian these this time, so... I'm going to try to be slow enough for him to get it up, or if not, you all can turn to it. Genesis, the second chapter. Two verses. And the Lord commanded, in verse 16, Genesis, the second chapter, verse 16 and verse 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you mayest freely eat. He had freedom in the garden. It was a beautiful, wonderful place. And everything he needed, everything he needed to sustain his life, temperatures were perfect, not swinging like the Oklahoma temperatures. So he didn't need any clothes. He was the only one except for his wife on the earth. Everything was provided, all of the fruits and vegetables and whatever he needed to eat. He didn't have to, to work very hard to get it. But God instructed him in one no. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. This was a loving creator who, did, who wanted the best for his creation. And so he told them what would happen if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus called the serpent, that old dragon, Satan the devil, a liar from the beginning and a murderer. And so when our first couple 
and especially Eve, met up with this devious little serpent. He said, in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now God could have come down, as he probably knew what was going on, and he could have slapped Eve's hand as she reached out to grab whatever fruit the tree of good and evil had. Or could have spanked their little bare bottoms because they were being naughty little children and getting ready to do something that he had told them no. But realize that these were adults with intelligence. Adam had just gotten through naming all of the animals. He, had, he was fully intelligent. And so God was giving them that latitude that adults have of making the decision. And yet, you know, they were somewhat like children since they, there was no one else around. But they did have that ultimate instruction from their Creator that they were not to eat of that. And yet they believed a lie. They believed a lie. And ever since, we all have been eating from that tree of good and evil. And so God, in his loving kindness, has given us a book in which we can sort out what is good, because God knows what's good for each and every one of us, and what's evil, because he truly knows what's evil in this world, and he has preserved it in his book. So we have it written right here. But we see that first set of generations that came along in chapter 6, they got so bad, so bad, that God couldn't stand them any longer. This is a, not a very wonderful thing to read, but in, verse, in chapter 6 and verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I'm sure there was instruction in good. There were those that were instructing them in the, in the right way. But all of mankind was going after the evil and living the evil. And getting worse and worse and worse. God thought that the only solution, the only solution was to start all over again. Well, thankfully, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And from Noah's progeny down through the ages, we are here. And we have this preserved book. Let's turn to Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, as it gives us tremendous instruction in his book. And it's very interesting. People have met, written commentary about ages past that, oh, they thought God was, a, um, was an awful being because he would write these terrible laws. But when you really understand what he has written, these are wonderful laws. These are beautiful laws. 
I better get to Deuteronomy. I won't be able to get through this. <laughs> Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter. See where I, he says in, in chapter, in verse 6, I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall have none other gods before me. None other gods before me. Now what I want you as, you know, a lot of times Bible studies tend to be this way. And sometimes when we're, we bring messages like this, we, we would like to, to impart to you some things that we have been able to, to search out and, and, and find out just because of the word. It's interesting that a word can lead you to some interesting Bible studies. And by no means, in the time that I've got left, can I cover all the thousands of places that not, neither, none, and no are in the Bible. Nor all of the situations that might help you in your own life, uh, in this way of life. So, consequently, as we read through this and you catch those words, and I'm going to show you where I caught some of those in David's message, if you didn't already, listen to what God says. You shall make, <clears throat> you shall another, none other gods before me. You shall not make unto you any graven images or any likeness of, the, of anything that is in heaven above or the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. You shall not bow down yourself unto them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation, them that hate me, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Now, I say we have freedom in God's work, in God's commandments. I'm totally free from having to put any kind of image in my house. <laughs> I don't have to go out and buy a little Jesus, well, what they think <laughs> is the image of a little Jesus, and set him up, or a little John, or a little James, or a little, <laughs> how many ever saints that there are, and put them on my mantle so that I have a day to pray to each one of these saints or to Jesus or to use the rosary beads or any of that. I am free from all of that, as you are, because you understand that we don't put any of those ahead of God and we don't make images. Besides that, the image of Jesus that we have and that we see in the books is nothing like what Jesus was. <laughs> we all understand that. He was a, of the tribe of Judah. He was a Jew. And the Bible says it's, a, it, it's unmanly to have long hair. So the effeminate, long-nosed, long-haired Jesus is a lie. So I'm free. I see in his word that I am free from that. And I'm thankful that I don't have to take God's name in vain. I'm very careful with God's name. 
whether it's in Hebrew or Greek or uh, English, I'm very careful because I love God and I love what he is doing in my life and in your life. And I want to be very careful with that. So I'm free from all of the explicate, whatever that is, those bad words that take God's name in vain. I gave that up many years ago, 40 plus years ago. And I was kind of bad as a teenager. And I did repent of that. And I'm thankful. So those things that we see not to do are positive in our life because we know that God said that's the things that you're not supposed to do, but we're free in every other way to worship God, to bow down before him. We know that his throne is available because of Jesus Christ. All of those things that are wonderful because we've learned them from God's word. Leviticus 26, just to put some more emphasis, because God says this more than once about certain things. In verse 1, Leviticus 26, verse 1, you shall not make, you shall not make you no idols nor graven images, neither rear you up a standing image. Neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land, nor bow down unto it. For I am the Lord your God. All steeples are pagan. All crosses, all fish symbols are pagan. We are admonished by God not to put those things so that we begin to worship them. They are non-existent. <laughs> They're stone. They don't exist. God exists. He's eternal in heaven. Jesus Christ sits at his, at his right hand. There's power there. And you can go before their throne. You don't have to have an idol. And of course, reverencing his Sabbath, keeping his Sabbath, and he says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then you'll have all these benefits. You'll have all these benefits. Rain in due season. And I, I won't keep reading all of that. Jesus says this in Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew, the sixth chapter. 24 through 34. No man can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one, uh, hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I might just stop right there and not read the rest of it. You know what it says there about God taking care of you. And the rest of those verses there. The point that Jesus was making is that we set something up as an idol over God and we put it up as an idol and we start to serve it 
instead of God. We start making it our God, and it takes up our time. No man, no one, exclusive, no man can serve two masters. Did you notice that? No man. <laughs> and I, I put in here all sin stems from idolatry because we're putting something ahead of God thinking that we are more knowledgeable than God about what sin is and what sin is in our life than what he has written in his book. And that includes all of the sexual sins and all of the different things that are out there. Read those in his book and be guided by that. Not by what somebody, some psychologist, psychiatrist, doctor something says. Because they're all men. They're all men. And they are all listening and eating off of the same tree. They're listening to Satan and they're eating off of the same tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And until they have the book and they read the book, their words are anathema. Leviticus 11, we were, David mentioned this one. And I always like to mention this because <laughs> I've got relatives that... Uh, you know, could say, ah, we lived until our 90s. Leviticus 11. <laughs> They're all dead now, of course, but if we were to confront them many years ago, they would tell you that, oh, these are all clean. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. Leviticus 11, beginning in uh, verse 3. He says, whatsoever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and choose the cud among the, amongst the beasts that you shall eat. Very plain about the, that. Nevertheless, nevertheless, these shall you not eat of them that chew the cud or of them that divide the hoof. As the camel, because he chews the cud but divides not the hoof, he's unclean unto you. And the coney, because he chews the cud and divides not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the hare, because he chews the cud, but divides not the hoof, he's unclean unto you. And the swine, though he divide the hoof and be cloven-footed, yet he chews not the cud, he's unclean unto you. Of their flesh shall you not eat, and of their carcass shall you not touch. They are unclean unto you. So, we have specific instructions by God. What is and isn't a dietary uh, thing in this earth. He's given us certain things that we can eat and certain things he says, no, these are not things for you to eat. He's a creator. He created them. He actually should know what's good and what's bad for you and I. <laughs> but that's not all of the reason. That's not the 100% reason. In verse 44, it says, I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore sanctify yourselves, which means to set apart, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. We are called saints. A saint is a holy one to God. Set apart 
for a particular purpose, his purpose. For I am the Lord that brings you, brought you out, or brings you out of the land of Egypt to, to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the beast and of the fowl and every living creature that moves in the waters and every creature that creeps upon the earth. To make a difference. Here's the point. Why it says not to eat those things and why certain things are edible and others aren't. To make a difference between the clean and un, between the unclean and the clean, and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten, because you are holy, you're sanctified, you're set apart. And as soon as you're baptized, that's what God expects each and every one of us to be: sanctified, holy, set apart. First Peter. Um, first chapter I'd like to put this in here because it's very interesting what Peter had to say if I can find first Peter sometimes uh, especially when I get in a bit of a hurry he says wherefore gird up your loins of your mind and be sober verse 13 first Peter 1 verse 13 Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Not fashioning yourselves. In other words, if you come out of the world and you come out of paganism and you come out of the worldly churches and the different things don't continue in them you've come out of them don't fashion yourself after those but as he which has called you is holy so be you holy in all manner of conduct or com- and conversation both conduct and conversation because it's written be you holy for I am holy I am holy and if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart and fervently being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, continuing in the word of God, living in the word of God, which lives and abides forever. See, those things that we have in this book are eternal, for all flesh is the grass, and all glory of man is the flower of the grass, and grass withers, and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is your book. Because I have 
a little shorter time here. I'm going to skip a couple of these, but I have. Let's go to uh, now to um, um, Psalms, the 36th chapter. Psalm, the 36th chapter. Psalm 36. The Bible condemns the wicked and without any apology. <clears throat> the transgression of the wicked says, saith when within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. No fear. For he flatters himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit, and he has left off to be wise and to do good. He devises mischief upon his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. You see, the wicked continue in their wickedness. And they have no fear of God. And they continue in that. And they think evil. And it's like that the people that, that existed before the flood. That is in their heart. And they think that. And they live that. And they dwell in that. And then they dwell on that. And there's no change. Isaiah the 8th chapter. Unless God intervenes in their life or unless they repent, unless they see the light of God's truth, they continue in that wickedness. Psalms 8, or Isaiah 8, beginning of verse 19. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter. Should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony? If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. When they deviate from this word, when they use their own psychology and their own psych psychiatric thinking, and they deviate from this word, it says there is no light in them. And you start rejecting them because of that. And they shall pass through it hardly, bestead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry and they shall fret themselves, curse their king and their God, and look upward, and they shall look into the into the earth and behold trouble and darkness and dimness and anguish and they shall be driven to darkness and it's kind of interesting that the wicked and those that refuse to see the light of God continue to get into deeper and deeper darkness and they allow like demon possession it takes them over Okay, yeah, and I want to read this one. Let's go to John, the third chapter here. Jesus makes this comment about light and darkness. John 3 and verse 19. Now, let's see. Verse 19. And this is, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men 
loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So we see that those who are evil, they, they continue in the darkness, they don't like the light, they don't want the truth, they don't want that light shining on them, and they continue in that darkness, they continue to be evil, and we know there's a day of judgment coming. Let's turn now, I'm saying, I have it aside here, and let's, let's turn back to Titus. What David wrote, read earlier, it struck me how many times uh, that it was saying not to be a certain way, but to be a certain way if you're going to serve in the church. Let's look at Titus, the first chapter in verse 7 again. What David read, he says, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed. We don't want, we want someone that's strong, but we don't want a, a dictator. We want someone that loves the brethren so much that he's willing to give his, you know, his life by serving. Self-willed people, they, they, all they want to do is will, their own will over you, no matter what it is, whether it's good or bad. Not soon angry. <laughs> we want a patient person. Who's willing to listen and be patient? Angry people just, you know, they're just always angry. Something's always bothering them. So we not soon angry. Not given to wine. Boy, did we ever have a problem with that in the church at one time. You know, they used to kid about the the feast of booze. Uh, booths. <laughs> because there were so many bottles afterwards. But we did have ministers that had problems. Ministers, pastors who had problems with alcohol. That's not good. The Bible says not given to wine. And if it's a problem, you give it up completely. You don't, you don't even drink any, except maybe that little cup, that little tiny bit of Passover. If you have a problem with that, don't drink. Not given to filthy lucre. What about people that are taking bribes under the table for certain things? You know, getting certain um, special treatment because they're the minister. Bible says no. No, we don't do that. We're servants. We're ministers. We give of our time, of who we are, of what God is teaching us, so we can teach you. We are an example. And that struck me, and I thank David for that. It was good. I have some good things <laughs> that the Bible says. Let's turn to First John. A very little time here, and I'll, I'll pick and choose some really good things here. 1 John 4. 1 John 4 and verse 18. There is no fear 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. This is the ultimate thing that God desires for each and every one of his children. He is a loving, benevolent father. He has given his son. There is so much benefit. And to have him as our loving father over us, we should not have the fear of this world or anything of it. If we die, the next thing we, are, we will know will be in the kingdom of God. If we're tortured for this way of life, God has a tremendous reward for us. If we live this way of life to the best of our ability with God's Holy Spirit directing us, he has a reward for us. What I'm trying to say is there's no fear in the love that God can shed into your heart through faith and through all of the different things that he's teaching us and giving us. I want you to read, because these verses are so important, so important, over and over again. I've read them so many times that uh, I, I, you're probably getting, I know you're not tired of it, but I know that you, oh, he's going to read those again. 1 John 4, 7 to the end, to 21. Read them and read them over and read them over again. Because one of the things that it talks about is those who have the love of God also have the love for one another. And if you don't have the love for one another, you don't have the love of God. And I say that because sometimes in a marriage, your partner, your spouse who is baptized, who is your, uh, who is, <laughs> who is also a saint, is the one you should love the most, and adore and love her because or him. We close men and women in this love because that's what God wants. And if you can't practice that love in your marriage, how are you going to practice that love between, uh, you know, between you and I? So you practice that love at home between you and your, your spouse. That's what I have to say about that. Um, let's see. Let's, uh, I've got quite a few more here, but uh, let, me, let me go to my last, my last thought here. Let's go to uh, Matthew, the 10th chapter. And like I said, if you want, you want a long study and you want a, a very detailed study, go ahead and, and just pick out. If you've got a Prudence Concordance, you've got uh, an um, uh, eSword on your computer, whatever you've got, take the time and go through these because they'll teach you some interesting things that God has given for us to, to understand in the no, not, neither, and none. <laughs> Matthew the 10th chapter and I want to read this because Jesus has given us some very interesting ooh I think maybe I've got the wrong thing here did I write that down right mm -hmm. 
I, I've done my thing. I've done myself in again. How about that? <laughs> here, let's do this. I'm going to read just a couple, three verses here, um, various New Testament teachings, and I'm sure these are correct. Let's go to, instead of that one, let's go to Colossians, and then we'll finish up here. Sorry about that. Sometimes, even in our haste and our good uh, desire to, to, to bring the best, we sometimes write the wrong scripture down. That <laughs> happens. <clears throat> verse 9. Colossians 3, verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do you also. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be you thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, you do in, deed, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Brethren, it does make a difference that we... Pay attention to God's Word. It does make a difference that we are attuned to the truth of God's Word. As I said, this barely scratches the surface of, of, of these words and, and the direction in which your life can be changed if you understand the teaching that God is giving to you. It's an instruction set from the Father, the Heavenly Father, who loves each and every one of you. He loves all of us. He loves all of humanity. He gave Jesus so that we, we would have, we would understand that love. But like, like, a, like a father and a mother who are really concerned about their children, sometimes he has to say no. He has to say no. This is not the way to go. And he, he, he makes it in a way that you can understand it in a way that is beautiful and perfect. His commandments are beautiful because they give us freedom. It's all for our good. That's what God has set aside in his word. That, that we might be one thing. It says, I am holy, so you be holy. So what we're striving for is to be holy, godly, children. 